morning. It's Tuesday, November 21st, National Gingerbread Cookie Day. Hear my words. The Carnation Cafe at Disneyland has the best gingerbread cookie I have ever had. And that's not just like, oh, I was just thinking about, that's a fact. That's just, that's science. And let's move on. And now the news. So I had a little bit of a show already planned today. And then the news that I'm going to cover now broke. And so now I'm like, (laughs) I'm double annoyed, as you'll hear, um, because the story in general is infuriating. And also, you know what? I get annoyed when I have to change my show up because I had some stuff that I was like ready to talk about. But I'm not going to take it out on you. Don't worry. Even though I'm coming in a little hot. Hang on. Hey, I'm not going to take it out on you. This is not your fault that I'm annoyed. It's the Eighth Circuit Court's fault. That's who we're mad at. Yeah, you're mad at them too. I've decided. We're all mad. So let me explain. The Voting Rights Act. Be honest before I continue. Did you assume that I'd be talking about voting? Or did that lead up and how annoyed I was make you think that I'd be covering like Kelly Clarkson or Ted Lasso news? So the Voting Rights Act is a landmark piece of legislation that opened up the right to vote for every otherwise eligible American. And when every American has the right to participate in democracy, elected officials who are not spending their time as an elected official making the lives of those that they represent better, well, those elected officials might view greater participation in democracy as a threat. And instead of adjusting their behavior and, you know, doing good in the world, instead those people will just do whatever they can to limit who actually gets to vote. And because of this, the Voting Rights Act has seen many a battle over its right to exist. For example, there are five sections of the VRA. Section 5 says that states and counties who previously created and upheld laws specifically created to limit who could cast a ballot needed to prove on a federal level to the AG or a three-judge panel in D.C. that any future changes in voting laws would not have that same effect. Hey, your behavior was bad before, and we're not saying you can never change your laws. We just need to be able to take a closer look at those laws before you change them to make sure that your bad behavior doesn't sneaky sneak its way back in. So that was Section 5. Section 4B defined which states and counties fell into that group. Math. In 2013, Shelby County v. Holder saw the court deciding that, hey, those states and counties Actually, it seems like they haven't done anything bad since we started double-checking that they weren't doing bad things. So probably we don't need to continue double-checking that they're not doing bad things since they're not doing bad things. And just in case you're thinking to yourself, well, that's very silly because they can't do bad things when you double-check that they don't do bad things. Um, You're right. This case here, Shelby County v. Holder, is one of the first dissents from Ruth Bader Ginsburg that gave her the notorious RBG Um, nickname because this was uh, one of her early sick burn descents. In her descent, she said, quote, throwing out preclearance when it has worked and is continuing to work to stop discriminatory changes is like throwing away your umbrella in a rainstorm because you are not getting wet. They didn't do anything about Section 5. They, They left that in, but the court ruled in 2013 that the math section, Section 4B, was unconstitutional. And the reason that they did that, I believe, is because we all would have lost our minds immediately over them saying that Section 5 was unconstitutional. But the math? 
We're just saying the math is outdated? Ah, that's way easier to explain. It's just math. Except that in the decades since that ruling, more than 20 laws that severely restrict an eligible voter's right to cast a ballot have been passed in those nine states and a couple dozen counties that previously needed permission to change their laws. Literally hours after the ruling, Texas's then attorney general, now governor, continued bad man, Greg Abbott, created the state's voter ID law because it couldn't get passed before because it wasn't a non-discriminatory law. There's a great article from The Guardian, uh, the link is in show notes, that shows all the laws that have been passed since this 2013 ruling. We know about Shelby County v. Holder. We talk about it often. I talk about it often. I'm fun at parties. Um, Because that case, that decision, truly just opened up the amount of disenfranchising laws that we are seeing being placed against the right to vote now. And I remind you all this because it is important to know that that's what people are doing to the Voting Rights Act. They're not taking away the big sections, like Section 5. They're taking away the math, Section 4B. This is how the Voting Rights Act ends, not with a bang, but with a whimper. So knowing all of that, on Monday, a federal appeals court ruled that only the federal government, not private citizens or civil rights groups, can sue under Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act says, quote, no voting qualification or prerequisite to voting or standard practice or procedure shall be imposed or applied by any state or political subdivision in a manner which results in a denial or abridgment of the right of any citizen of the United States to vote on the account of race or color or in contravention of the guarantees set forth in section, and then it goes on to list the sections where all this information is. So basically, section two says, hey, you you can't create a voting practice or procedure that discriminates on the base of race, color, or membership in a language minority. And that's pretty important, right? That feels like kind of a, I don't know, cornerstone of the Voting Rights Act. But on Monday, the Eighth Circuit ruled that, hey, we'll keep that part in because otherwise people will immediately lose their minds. But who can sue? We're just changing who's able to sue? Well, that's easier to explain away. This one is almost certainly headed to the Supreme Court. I don't know how they would rule, but at least two justices have said that they're open to the argument that non-governmental groups have no role in demanding that the Voting Rights Act be enforced. Let me say that again. At least two justices on the Supreme Court do not believe that private citizens, civil rights groups, or any non-governmental group should be able to have a voice in whether or not the Voting Rights Act gets enforced. And I don't know how to like ring the bell any louder than saying that, because it's likely that, like I said, this one's going to go all the way up to the Supreme Court. And at least two justices on the Supreme Court do not believe that anybody except for the government get to decide whether or not the Voting Rights Act should be enforced. We have a Voting Rights Act because the people that were in charge of the government on state and county levels famously did not want people to be able to vote. They didn't want a Voting Rights Act, so we had to have a Voting Rights Act. I don't know how to like crack wise about this because um, it's a serious moment. In the last decade, all those laws that those nine states and a couple dozen counties went ahead and created, it wasn't to make voting easier. It was because they wanted to make it harder for people to vote. Not everybody, just people that don't 
you know, vote the way they want them to vote. And that is not what we should be doing. We cannot allow this to happen quietly. But that is what they're counting on. They are counting on us kind of looking at a piece of news like this, watching it get buried in a million other things, going back to it and being like, what are they doing? Oh, it's just who can sue? I don't know. Well, I'm not gonna. Yeah. This one doesn't feel like it's that big of a deal to pay attention to. I mean, listen, it's a, it's a short week. No one wants to get this serious on a Tuesday, but like, this is the one that we've got to pay attention to. Because this cannot also go away, not with a bang, but a whimper. You hear that quote often, not with a bang, but a whimper. It comes from T.S. Eliot's poem, The Hollow Men. And the poem has five sections, with the last section containing that line. It's actually the last line of the whole poem, but it is preceded by him saying at two different points in that last section, for thine is the kingdom, as if that last section is a prayer or the beginning of one. And in the last stanza, he says three times, this is the way the world ends, as if no one's listening, as if this is the thing that we need most to hear, to be aware of, and nobody is paying attention. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but a whimper. People died for the right to vote, for the Voting Rights Act. Blood was shed. We will not let them take it quietly. And that's it. That's the news. T.S. Eliot on a Tuesday. Kind of wishing this episode was about Kelly Clarkson or Ted Lasso now, aren't you? As a reminder, I don't have many hobbies, but when I do, they're all about the Voting Rights Act and just getting people to vote in general. You can go to RaisingVoters.org to know more about, uh, about how important your vote is. I'm proud of gingerbread cookies. Really um, <laughs> running the gamut in this episode. From very serious to gingerbread cookies. And that's what you get here. And here's what's happening. But more than that, because you also have a little spice to you, but it makes you sweeter for it. I'm proud of you.